that I, I was actually sitting in front of my computer contemplating how to take my life that night. When you fall, you continue to get back up because at some point there's going to be, there's going to be this moment of breakthrough. This is Game Changers. The Anatomy of High Achievers with your host, Dr. Roger Borbone. Strap yourself in as he takes you behind the scenes of the people, businesses, and brands we know, use, and love today, and discover the unknown game changers who triggered their success. This podcast will show you how any person can spark the winning spirit that creates high achievers. You'll also get these champions' personal success codes to help you be the next game changer now from the dr pure life clinic headquarters in austin texas it's showtime with your host dr roger borbon we are here with uh christina baker and so christina is a big time social influencer i guess is what they call it now that's yes <laughs> uh, but she, you're an author, a speaker, you go all over the place, you know, basically sharing your message and, and your message has brought just a lot of healing to a lot of people. And if you don't know, this is, um, so hope in 60 seconds is the, is the book. And it's such a, it's a, it's a fun read and it's a painful read and it's a joyous <laughs> read. It's like, it's kind of like That's what you perfectly want. Perfectly put, it. Dr. Borbo. So, so, um. So anyway, I'm really excited to have you uh, join us on here. the podcast. And so, so the Game Changers, it's called Game Changers, the Anatomy of High Achievers. And really, a lot of the folks that, that, um, will, that are here on the podcast, people might know either their brand or the business or the, just their name yeah. from a board event or whatever the kind of right. thing is. And... Then we kind of find out more about their backstory. Yeah. Now, you kind of got thrusted into the spotlight because of your backstory. So it's almost just the opposite where you've led with your backstory. And that's how people know you is this amazing story that you have. So maybe you can start for those of us who are new to yeah. your story. If you can give us just kind of like a recap yeah. about what that backstory is yeah yeah so I uh you know grew up in a grew up in a home where you know my mom and dad my dad had a, a bad cocaine addiction my mom stayed home mom from South America mm. um didn't speak a lot of English at the time and so uh it was just it was really hard for her being you know where she was at that point and my dad with his addiction so they divorced when I was seven years old he remarried and we moved to Bolivia and so there's a lot of abuse in, in our home as a kid. Um, it was, uh, I think, just something that when there is abuse in the home and there's a divorce, you know, between parents, you know, the kids take the brunt mm -hmm. of it. And so by the age of 14, I was, you know, cutting myself. And I don't know if you remember Marilyn Manson, but mm -hmm. I just really connected mm -hmm. with that music because it spoke. Hard, dark, rock kind of yes. music, right? Yeah, like the goth. Like techno, goth, yeah. Goth was like a thing in the 90s, right, in the early 2000s, and, and still might be around today, yeah. but it was something that my heart connected with because, and I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I felt dead inside. I felt mm. like everything that I knew that I was, was was lost. And there's a lot of things that happened in my childhood as well. So I started cutting myself and uh, going to the bars. There's no drinking age in Bolivia, which is where we lived. And so I was at the bars at 14, started doing drugs around 15. And so everything changed when I came home from a party and my stepdad said, you need to go, you need to leave. And my mom made the hard decision to, to have me leave. So they put me on a one-way ticket to Maui, Hawaii, where my dad was. And I hadn't seen him in about 10 years. So waited at the Kahului airport in Lahaina, and about six hours later, he showed up. We both recognized each other, but I had like black circles around my eyes and had a guitar on my back with a duffel bag with my whole life in it. And he was like, Christina? I was like, Dad? And he was like, come on, let's go. And we get in his... So he saw, the last time he saw was a little five or six-year-old yeah, you or something? Yeah, I was five around. years old, about five or six, and, you know, at that point, a little 
you know, cute little five or six year old with a dress girl. on, and yeah. I was very different at this point, you know. And we get in the car, and he says, "This is crazy. You're here." He's like, um, "I need to tell you something." And I was like, "Okay." And he's like, "I'm homeless, and I'm living in a tent on the beach now." And I'm like, "We, our family never experienced financial lack, but it was." On the inside you know everything mm. on the outside looked perfect but on the inside I mean my mom my dad was abusive but my mom married someone who was a hundred times more abusive in her second marriage mm. so it was you know just it was just smoke and mirrors you know just it looked a certain way right. and the history repeated itself with my stepdad so I'm like tent on the beach. I mean, I don't know what, what that even means. So it was like the curtains were ripped open for the first time in my life, like welcome to the real world. So long story short, I was on the, on the beach sometime with my dad. And then I came back to the mainland. Some family found out that I was, I was there and went from home to home, you know, aunts and uncles didn't want to deal with a, like a goth teen right. who's probably on drugs. And, you know, they, probably imagine like the worst possible so I end up in Pennsylvania where my brother was going to college at Messiah College in Mechanicsburg outside of Harrisburg Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and I was living in a red roof inn and his coach finds out his hey you know 15 year old he's living in a tent on the beach this is one of the players sisters like is there a way we can help her so he goes to his church and a couple stands up and they're like we'll take her and they're like mm-hmm. <laughs> disclose like full disclosure they're this like this one comes with a warning label yes huge <laughs> warning label and they're like we don't care we'll take her and so i show up at their house uh, a week before 9-11 on 2001 mm. in uh in 2001 and her name is sharon she opens up the door and she's like welcome to our home and we just sit around a couch kind of like this and she said we just have two rules here she's like the first rule is uh your curfew is 11 and the second one is uh, that you have to go to church with us every Sunday. And I was like, church? Like, my whole family, like, atheists and non, non-practicing Catholics, you know, mm-hmm. just there's no re- scripture religion. Yeah. And so I just wanted a warm bed to sleep in at that point. It had been a long time. So I was like, okay, I'll go to church. So I was there for three years. I graduated high school. You know, I really kind of flew under the radar, you know, regarding addiction and just... Mm-hmm. Still smoke cigarettes and drink and things like that, kind of behind her back. But once I got out of their house, I went crazy. I mean, I just really did everything I wanted to do. So everything changed for me, Dr. Barbone. I was actually working as a counselor at a university in Houston. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was telling people how to live their life during the day and drugging all night, kind of like what my dad did, followed in his footsteps. And by this point, I had a really not just a bad drug problem, but I was on multiple drugs, like pills, and you name it. I was yeah. on all of it, anything I can get my hands on because it's the addiction to be able to escape and just the, there was a lot of internal pain that I just didn't know how to escape from. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people sometimes have a hard time understanding like why do people, why would somebody, you know, turn their lives over to, you know, doing drugs and, it's a hard thing for some people to understand, yeah. but for me, it was really, it was truly an escape. Mm-hmm. And so I got pulled over one night and I got taken to jail, which, you know, I had been pulled over so many times that I would always get away with it. And this evening, the officer was like, you're going to jail. Like, I don't care what you say. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, that was my really rubber meets the road moment for me where I was like, what, what are you doing? I had a nine month old baby. I had, you know, I <clears throat> never in a million years would have thought I'd be here in a jail cell. And just kind of looking around at just everything that was happening in jail. I'm like, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? And I, a lot of people have that moment. I'm sure you've had that moment in different we've all yeah. experienced a moment where we're like how did I get here like how did this happen mm-hmm. and so the moment of reflection really began but that's where 
uh, actually a man at my job, a pastor, came up to me when I was out on bail, and I went into a prayer meeting, and that's where I was introduced to um, my faith in Jesus, and my life changed after that. Mm -hmm. It was like I walked into this prayer meeting that they were having these covert prayer meetings, and I walked in one way, and I came out a completely a completely new person. And I had never experienced that before. So I was still facing this court case. And th within three months, I was drug-free, completely sober. And I went into that, into that courtroom like a completely new person. But how do you tell a judge that? Like, how right. do you tell <coughs> They've the heard DA it, that? seen it before. They, they've Every day. All the, yeah. All day. I'm clean. Yeah. I'm good. You know, I won't do it again. But, but I had really... And not that I was trying to get clean because of this case, but I had made a decision. I want to be clean because I want to be the mom that Evan deserves. Evan is my son, and I wanted him to have a mom that was sober and clean, and every child deserves that. Every child does. And so... <coughs> I was sitting there in the courtroom, and I just felt led to talk to the DA and give him this full confession against my lawyer's advice. He's like, you're going to lose. The, like, no. Yeah. Like, we're not going to be able to make a plea deal. And I gave him a full confession, and I told him the drugs were mine. I just told him the truth. And he looked at me, and he said, you know, we all make mistakes sometimes. Have a good day. And he walks in the courtroom, <laughs> and I just have this moment where I'm like, Oh my gosh, what did I just do? And Oscar, my attorney, looked at me. He's like, "You're toast." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm toast." And um, I sat in the courtroom, and I just, in in my heart, I was like, I just, I asked God, I was like, "Just take care of my son," and I'll, I'll tell everybody about who you are, uh, in jail. So my moment of surrender came. Mm. And I think I, that's something that we think like we've, you know, come to that place in our life mm -hmm. where we've really surrendered everything right but I really wasn't when I had walked into that courtroom I was still had an idea of the way things were supposed to go mm -hmm. and next thing I know my attorney walks up to me holds up a yellow piece of paper that changes my life and it says order of dismissal and I knew that that was that was the second chance that I had been asking for and praying for mm -hmm. and I ran out of the courtroom <coughs> ran got on my knees and was screaming at the top of my lungs like a crazy person. I know I look crazy. Actually, I know there was somebody that knew my mom who was in the courthouse. <laughs> Ten years later, I found out that she had seen me and thought, Carmen's daughter has gone mad. I was totally crazy. And so that's that's kind of a little bit of my story. So yep. You know how life is. There's yeah. so many things yeah. in there, but that's that was my moment of change. I was like, this is it. I got the I got the second chance wow. that I had been asking for, praying for, and I knew this this is it. This is it. Like this yeah. is better better make this right this time because it. I just knew in my heart. I was like, I, I felt like this was it. Mm -hmm. This was my chance. So. Wow. I mean, there's. So I mean, just kind of in the in the in the. Uh, sentiment of what this podcast is, is is there's you and really what we're looking at is the the game changer for this person on the couch yeah and i just heard well was is it the the family who raised their hand said we'll take her is it the <laughs> you know is it the cop who wouldn't let you off and then but so ultimately good. it sounds like there's this covert prayer meeting going on and there's a gentleman that invited you to that, and yeah. that's where you came in one way and a different person walked out. So it sounds like that's the big, even though there are a lot of things still hung in the balance, but yeah. that was the, the real game changer, it sounds like, yeah. was that individual. Is that, is that right? Yes, it was. It was. His name is Hillroy, and he's still in our life to this day. Oh, but that's he, awesome. he had felt it impressed on his heart to approach me the day that I, I was actually sitting in front of my computer, 
contemplating how to take my life that night. And I knew how many pills I needed to take. I knew exactly mm -hmm. what I needed to do to try to do this as painlessly as possible. I didn't even Google like how to commit suicide painlessly. And so I just, I knew this is what, and I had this like feeling of my son being better off without me. Mm. And I just knew this was, this was the best thing that I could do was to leave this earth. Interesting how, um, how these lies can seep in there, right? Very subtly. Mm -hmm. And probably like the drugs, right? Probably where cigarette turns into this, turns into that, and soon you don't recognize, soon you're in a cell, and you're thinking, how did I get here? And ultimately then you end up Googling something like, how can I do this painlessly? Better off for him. I mean, all these, these stories that kind of, it's so easy to kind of fall into, I imagine. Because you don't, you know, we don't just flip a switch and we're just there. You know, it's all Over these. Over time. Yeah, all these little steps. So, and then there's, <laughs> then there's big giant steps. And so you made a leap, it sounds like, where something like you said, there was something in my heart that just said, I need to... I just need to talk to this DA about, I just need to say, hey, here's the, here's the truth. Looking back on that moment, Dr. Bourbone, everything that I was doing, I was in a state of survival for a long time. So nothing of, in my life was kind of, it was never out of the norm for me to kind of take time to process decisions ever. I know that there was a measure of faith in my heart because I just, I, I acted by faith in that moment. But there wasn't like a processing of like, oh, this could happen. It was just like, I have nothing else to lose at this point. I'm going to jail. And I don't want my child to be put into the system. I have nothing to lose. So I just put, it was just like putting myself out there of like, I'm going to do, I have nothing. You're grasping for anything. Mm -hmm. And that was, for me, that moment was I'm grasping for something that might stick. Mm. And so it, I just, by faith, I, I, I felt very strongly impressed in my heart that I was supposed to talk to him and tell him the truth. And the people that were um, in my life at that point, they were discipling me in, in my faith and everything, and they would tell me that God was truth. And that's all I knew in that moment because I didn't know who God was, really. I was learning about who he was. But I knew that he was truth. And I just thought, I need to speak the truth for the first time in my life. Because I've been a liar all my life. Everything I've done has been lying, manipulation, cheating, uh, doing people wrong. That was my whole life. And so coming into this place of like completely changing my life be was becoming a person of truth. Mm. And so that moment for me was, I'm going to tell him the truth about what happened that night. And whether I, whether I lose in this moment or not, it doesn't really matter. I'm speaking the truth. So I don't know if that, that yeah. it makes sense, but that was a big step for me because, yeah. because that's not who I was historically ever. Like nobody ever believed me. I mean, it, getting to that point, everybody had walked out of my life. Every, my mom, literally, they had to take my mom to South America because my mom was like my crutch. When that man, Hilroy, found me at my desk, everybody had turned their back on me. And I had nowhere to turn. And I had nobody to help me. And then all of a sudden, this man is like, hey, uh, we want to invite you to a prayer meeting. And I'm like, nowhere. It was like somebody threw a life preserver to me mm -hmm. because I was, I thought, how could he know what I was just thinking yeah. at this moment? Like, So this is, this is the time that you're Googling about... Yeah how to painlessly make your exit, right? How would he have known? What does he say about that kind of, that time? That this moment? is interesting because, you know, we talk about game changers, and if Hillary was here, he'd tell you he was actually at a point in his life where he, he was questioning if he was really, like, supposed to be doing what he was doing. Hmm. He wasn't seeing the fruit of his, of his work in, in ministry wow. and... He was considering 
just kind of walking away from the faith, which is really crazy. He would tell you that. Like, mm. he things were just really, really hard in his life at the time. And it's very hard to think that because to me, he just looked like a giant, mm. you know, somebody that just knew it all and had it all together. And here right. he walks up and, and then to find out years later that he was, he was at a fork in, a, in the road in his life. And then seeing my conversion and what happened with me caused it. That was like, everything was solidified after that. And it was just, he went in the, it just, it yeah. solidified him. Hey, he felt that his faith was strengthened and he knew what he was called to do and why he was made for what he was made for yeah. seeing what he saw, because it was really crazy. Dr. Borbone, yeah. just what was happening. I was at a huge office. I mean, people saw me one day as this crazy party girl, which I was getting ready to get fired pretty soon. And <laughs> I went from that to this, just really transformed, just completely transformed. We, we hear of these stories like, wow, that's so incredible. But I went into um, a very, very deep valley. And, and it was in that valley where thing, those little things that you spoke of really began to change. The color of my hair, the clothes that I wore, all the things that you mentioned were small things that I really felt needed to be addressed because we are a product of our environment. And one of the first things that just kind of went were the people that I hung out. I knew that I could no longer associate with the people mm. that were a part of my life then, wow. which was really, really hard because those were the people that I partied with, drank with, did drugs with, and that was like my life. And I realized, well, if I don't want to, if I don't want to, one of the things I wanted to quit doing so bad was smoking cigarettes. Because I used to smoke two packs a day. But I knew that when I drank, I would smoke cigarettes. It was like one thing. It was like one little connection to the other where I was like, I want to quit drinking. I want to quit smoking. I want it. And it was just all these little small details. It was like, I have to quit doing this. But the associations and the people I spent time with was a huge, was a huge factor in all of that. Because once I separated from these groups of people, now all of a sudden, there wasn't that temptation for me to do certain things mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. And now I had to really overcome those obstacles of like the desire to want to do certain things. Mm -hmm. But not having them in the picture made it very, a lot easier. Right. So people, that was like the very first thing to go. Just the people, which is a big, big deal. So it's how was, deal. tell me about the, uh, the reaction of, because this is this is your crew, right? Yeah. These are the people who know you, and now now suddenly they don't know who this person is, right? Yeah. So what was the what was that like? And was there animosity? Were were they happy for you to change? Yeah. yeah. You know, so tell me a little yeah. bit about that. I think there was a little bit of everything. I think more so there was people that just wanted to party with me, wanted nothing to do with me anymore. Because I mean, what 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 benefit what I bring to their life if we have no commonality anymore. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to uh, very extravagantly share my faith with them. And yeah. they were absolutely not interested. So that was kind of, an, uh, that was a very easy, yeah. you know, they, they removed themselves. Yeah, because, you know, here's an interesting thing, Dr. Borbone. I didn't, this change happened but I didn't immediately get off the drugs. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a whole story sure, and sure, process yeah. of all mm -hmm. that. And my faith was there and I was struggling to, you know, I was, I was in this struggle mm -hmm. to leave this life behind. But there was this other part of me that was like, I, I really want to be this. I want to be drug free. I want to be alcohol free. I want to be pill free. Like I wanted this, but th there was this struggle getting to this point. So there was a small group of people that were part of that life and they were really happy for you. I don't really get all of that, but hey, we're happy for you because you have a son and like this life and having a son, like this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. This is really wrong. And, and everybody, no matter what they do, has this sense of like, hey, you have like a child, you're 22 years old, 23 years old, and you're like, this is really wrong. 
And so most of my friends didn't have kids, but they were like, hey, you have a kid. Like, you know, it's kind of like, hey, you do you. Whatever your faith is, like, you do you. I mean, this is really good mm-hmm. for your son. Yeah. As you're going through this transition, you're kind of talking about, hey, I had, I had made a change in my heart, but my behaviors haven't caught up to my heart yet is yeah. what I kind of heard. Absolutely. So, good way so there's, there's a change that happens. Not the full, the full change doesn't happen all yeah. at once. And so, so kind of talk a little bit about just the, the strength, the pain, that, that part that you, that you said, okay, I'm just going to commit to this. And I think it's worth people knowing how successful you were with that, how many times you went up the hill and fell down, and you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, well. Because here's the thing. I think people see you on TV. They see your book. They see the things that you've done. And it's just easier for Christina because she's, look at her, she's Christina Baker. So this is one of the things that I, I think is a misconception that that others have is like people who've done X, Y, Z, somehow it's easier for you. So yeah. kind of talk about that, the, that struggle to, to you know, yeah. meet your actions where your heart was. Yeah, well, first of all, I think one of the best pieces of advice I was given at the very beginning was, Christina, you're going to struggle. You're going to fall a million times. But what 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 is going to be a game changer is that you get back up. Mm. And Hale Roy said that to me. And when I would fall back, because there were times where, oh, I want to smoke a cigarette. And I'd light up a cigarette. And I have just something inside. You know, this is wrong, you know. Mm. And or I would, you know, there did come a, a change where it was like I never looked back regarding the drugs and all of that. But that. For me, that we, I feel like we all have our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know, for some people, it's like, gosh, you know, my husband is never drank, smoked cigarettes, or done drugs. So for him, it's just such a, why would someone do that? And so, but we all have our weaknesses. We all have this like bent where we turn towards something that kind of fills that little void. And struggling, struggling, falling down, getting back up, and finally getting to that place of having victory. Uh, was a part of the process, but falling a million times. Like it wasn't just again and again and again and again until I, there did come a moment where it was like, I'm never looking back now. And Dr. Barbone, our entire lives, my entire life has been that. I mean, to this day, it's, it's a, there's, there's always something that I feel like we're struggling with. Everybody's got something that they're Mm -hmm. struggling with that we have to fall down, get back up, fall down. I remember you telling me one time, you said, when I came here, and you said, it's going to be, your healing is going to be, I'm sure we can get to that at some point here, but you're, it, it was something that stuck with me because it was almost a parallel, it was almost like a parallel description of what Hilroy said mm. to me when I began my journey. He said, you're going to fall down, but just make sure you get up. Yeah. Like, whatever you do, don't get stuck there. Just don't quit. Whatever you do, it was like, just do not quit. Don't turn back. Just fall. Don't think about it. And then get back up and keep pressing. He just kept, he stuck his arm out and he said, just keep pressing towards the mark is what he told me. And so I believe that that's what brings us victory in life, whether it be healing our friendships, our marriages, our children, you know, our businesses, ministries, or whatever it is that, that you do is, is that when you fall, you continue to get back up. Because at some point, there's going to be, there's going to be this moment of breakthrough. There's going to mm-hmm. be a moment of victory where you're like, something happened. I don't know when that happened, but I crossed over, yeah. and, and I don't even know when that happened. <laughs> but it's the persistence. Yeah. And, and actually, you said that to me, which stuck with me through the process when I came to you the very first time and you told me that healing was going to look like yeah, this. Yeah, we're going to go like this and the valleys here will be higher <laughs> than your peak over here, but just, just know it's going to keep going. Yeah, <laughs> Keep going. And then I remember thinking, oh, wow, that sounds strangely familiar. I was told that at the very beginning of my walk almost 15 years ago. Mm. And, and so that was, that changed everything for me. Was this that? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so 
is worth the people who you know know you as an influencer or the person that's being interviewed on this show and that show is your path there as is just a million falls and a million and a million, and a million one backups you know and then a victory at yeah. some point yeah and you don't know when the victory is going to come so it's right. remaining cons consistent yeah just like Hillroy right yeah. like he you're, you were one of his victories you know just to see the all the fruit that you know all the seeds that you've planted that's yeah. awesome so you also shared the like earlier you were saying how uh, your mom had to be taken out of the equation because you know as a parent you just you want to do everything you can to prevent your child from suffering and and she was that in in your yes. that was her truth yes. so that she had to be taken out of the equation or else you couldn't you know you couldn't make progress yeah. as long as that that crutch was there i've seen that also <clears throat> also in, in healthcare where if we either focus get kind of suckered in that the symptom is the problem and if we can cover up the symptom then the problem's not there and that's a lot of really what that's kind of actually how healthcare is set up in in the US. It's wow. just it's very symptom oriented, not root cause oriented. But it's but then a lot of times either the doctor or the drug or the surgery or whatever the thing is ends up being that same crutch wow. that like your mom was. And it's and most of the time people aren't gonna choose for their crutch just to disappear. No way. So so in no that way. moment when your mom was taken away, back to Bolivia, where were you at that point? And then what was like, what was that? How scary was that? Or was it oblivious? Like, tell me a little bit about what that felt like. Well, Dr. Bulldog, I was a bit of a scrappy girl. Like, really, you know, I, part of my story is growing up, my dad was very violent. And then my mom remarried somebody who was 100 times more violent. So I learned how to handle everything by violence and intimidation. And mm. it actually taken my mom to my aunt's house who lived in this condo in Houston, Texas. And I went in there and tried to intimidate the, there were like people downstairs, like the concierge of the condo. And they said, no, they're not available. And then my uncle came down who's a doctor and he, you know, he came down and it was just this whole picture craziness. And I was trying to intimidate him. And the guards mm. carried, like, the, the, <laughs> I'm just being honest. You know, yeah. that's kind of, I just can only be honest here. Uh, but they had to carry me out. And I sat in my car. I remember going out into the parking garage. And I sat in my car. And I was, like, all, like, thinking, I'm, like, all over. And I was, I was, I had already been arrested. And. How am I going to continue doing what I'm doing and living my life now without the person who watches my baby? Because I wouldn't. Mm. This is a part of me that I felt right about doing drugs because I did it at nighttime when my child slept. Uh -huh. And so it was okay. I was it's doing. It's me time. This is me time. This is me point. time or whatever <laughs> that is. Being was. And that was taken away in an instant. And. I got evicted from my apartment a week later and my whole life was crumbling. Just everything was crumbling. Everything was, fall everything was falling apart. But I always tell my mom this even to this day. I'm like, you, I've told her, you going away was one of the greatest gifts that I ever received. Just like when the police officer pulled me over, mm -hmm. that's one of the greatest gifts I ever received. It saved my life. You fought for it. You fought to grab on to latch on to your life, right? to your life. Yes. Which is, you know, interesting because now I'm thinking about, you know, I'm warped in my way of what we do here. So <laughs> yeah. in functional neurology, uh, it's kind of like an expression is that people will work to justify their lesion. So whatever their dysfunction is, there's always a reason for it. Oh, well, that's because I'm right handed or that's because. My job is this, yeah. or that's because my spouse is that, or whatever the situation is. Yeah. Doesn't change whatever the thing is you want to say. 
this needs to get straightened out, you know, and we, and, but we will fight to be, you know, to kind of keep that crutch. Don't touch that over here. Yeah. I mean, we're like really yeah. protective of it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The crutch was taken that night. Yeah. Yeah. And it saved my life. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how that part that, and we hear this too. It's like, if you are comfortable, there's probably not growth happening. And when you have to get pushed out of your comfort zone, oh, this so is where painful. the comfort happens, you know. Or the, so, but nobody likes to be uncomfortable. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I feel as far as the joyful suffering thing is like, how can we, you know, when we can get to a point when we're in the valley and really suffering and still have thanks. Mm. And I don't want to be there again, but I've been there. And I just remember in my in my valley, thinking, you know, having having some, you know, having gratitude for what I'm going through at this moment. And on my side, it was. Uh, I never thought about if I if if I didn't have a relationship with God, because I just do. But in hindsight, it's like, man, what must it be like to go through a valley truly alone? Hmm. So, and that was most of my life. I mm -hmm. think that was. Um, I remember remember having moments where I would feel completely alone and wonder if there was something or anything out there that was looking or had any type of knowledge of what I was walking through as a 14, 15 year old kid mm -hmm. um, and wondered if there was somebody there that was, that cared or was, was looking after me. And so I think the, the, that, that moment in that, break room at that university was so intense for me because I received something in my heart that in, by, by faith that actually there was somebody walking with me through this now. Mm. So I wasn't going to have to walk through these valleys alone anymore. That's what hit me so hard. I mean, I just remember looking up going, I actually have not been alone this whole time. That was very intense for me. It was, it was, that is what changed me mm. because I didn't know who or what or if there was anything out there. But what changed me was like, somebody's been here the whole time. Wow. So you had that. You had that. That's what went through your internal monologue That's at that what point. changed me. That's what changed me. And it was something that went internal into my heart. That it was like an arrow into my heart of like, my whole question, my, I've questioned for 20 plus years of my life, is there anybody out there? Is there anybody who cares? Because when I looked around, there wasn't anybody, like there weren't mm -hmm. people. It was, I was always surviving, fending for myself. And then all of a sudden that revelation of someone walking with me right next to me was changed my whole life. That's amazing. You, you know, what basically turned into you know, hope in 60 seconds, encountering the God of impossible. So something you were, you kind of had a, you had a leap of, hey, I'm going to just do this thing on social media. So kind of tell us about the, the shift that happened. Yeah, yeah. well, it was a long, you long know, October, <laughs> you know, that 15 years ago to, 2020 getting on social media we're talking about you know 12 years mm -hmm. 12 years of processing 12 years of a lot of internal healing and um, a lot of spiritual healing and just mind just you're saying this that. wasn't overnight <laughs> <laughs> what good comes overnight dr Rorbone? <laughs> we always see people like that so we're like wait a second we see people that just but the people that really know those people know the backstories. And that's what is like so important for people to get, right? So this, there's always a backstory. There's this 12 year overnight happening. This 12 year overnight, which I, I believe was marked but paralleled with, you know, the dark night of the soul, but also 
um, just a lot of goodness and a lot of just beautiful things happening, yet paralleling this working out all the things that got me in that place mm -hmm. to begin with kind of process. Yeah. So the pandemic takes place, and it was the middle of the night. Well, for us, it's the middle of the night, but it was like 12, 31 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, during that time when, when COVID started, I, I just, everybody was just kind of, what's going on? And it was April 11th, and I could feel the pain of people just kind of crying out just internally, I could just mm -hmm. feel the pain. I just been talking to people. I was like, wow, I'm just gonna get online and I'm gonna post a prayer to encourage someone. I mean, if one person sees the prayer, I've encouraged, I mean, I just felt so desperate being in my house and not being able to help people because after that conversion experience, I knew my life was gonna be dedicated to helping and serving people and encouraging people out of their place of depression and discouragement and hopelessness. Like, mm -hmm. I knew that was like my life mandate. And I didn't know how that was gonna look entirely, but right. I, but that was in my heart. I wanna help people and I never felt, if I'm not out there helping people and encouraging people to have hope, then I don't really feel like I'm doing anything. Right. So here we are, we're all locked up in our houses. So I, sitting in a corner in our, in our bedroom and I just pull out, my phone and I the lighting was awful <laughs> I mean it was just like who cares right like yeah. I just and I, I I post this prayer on this a lot of people didn't know what TikTok was that it blew up during the pandemic and I just posted the prayer somewhere where I knew I would have some anonymity because not a lot of people yeah. that I knew had TikTok and woke up the next morning and the video had gone viral and all I had said in the video was like I just encourage people to have hope let me pray for you and really what was in my heart is I wanted to offer people the hope that was offered to me in that break room. Mm. That was that driving force inside of me of like, people are dying, people are losing loved ones, people are sick, people like need money, don't have jobs. Like it was just, I could just feel that so deeply. And my husband and I were like, well, that's interesting. But videos go viral all the time. So we didn't, <laughs> we didn't think anything yeah. of it. Dr. Robone, to be honest, and and then posted another one, and it went viral again, and there was just this like, I don't know, it was just kind of like we were talking earlier, like you just do something and then you look back and you're like, wow, that was, you know, you're just, you're just doing what you do, and it went, the videos were going viral every single day, and it was like, wow. okay, we waited six months, we didn't tell anybody about this. And nobody, I think a couple people had, hey, are you, I saw you on TikTok. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Because I didn't feel like this was a real thing. I just felt like it was something I just did one night. I didn't have any plans. I've never really been a social media person before mm -hmm. this either. I've always like, you know, contact with people, yeah. put my hand on your shoulder. And, you know, I'm just that type of person. Yeah. But it was the only way we could communicate during the pandemic. So I'm like, fine, I'll throw out all my whatever I think about social media and do this. Yeah. And so six months later, we realized, okay, something's going on here. We better talk to some people. We talked to some some friends, and and th this is when I, people started reaching out, asking what the story was behind the prayers. Because in in six at the time, TikTok would only allow you 60 seconds, mm. and I would hear 60 seconds of, this is when I went to jail, or this is when I was living in a tent with my dad, or... This is when I had brain surgery and just real quick. And yeah. then people were like, is there a book? Is there somewhere we could read more about like, what's yeah. the passion behind all these prayers? And so that's how all that started. It was not something that we were. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. We have great friends that have built their platforms and, you know, it's, yeah. they get a big break and it's amazing and it's a blessing to a lot of people, but it is not something that we were. Yeah, it's not what you, not what you were after. Mm-hmm not looking for yeah. in any way, shape, or form. I was right. really, I'd come to a place in my life where for the first time I had so much just peace. I was really happy just living in my <laughs> white picket fence with my yeah. dogs and my husband and our son. And wow, this is just wonderful. Like I've never experienced yeah. stability yeah, right. before. This is great. And so this was a bit of a kind of a monkey wrench all of a sudden. I'm like, wait a second here. This is not yeah. what I was 
envisioning, which isn't that what life is, like yeah, nothing ever goes the way we think it's going to go. We make all these plans, yep. and it always goes differently, doesn't it? It's like yep. it never goes exactly the way we think it's going to go. So that's what that experience is like for me. Oh, my gosh. And then you, you had told me before at a point that it was a – you really labored on – Am I really going to write this book? Probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was write that book. Wow, amazing. Yeah, I think there was, when I was writing, I remember the, the thing that really caught me off guard with writing was that there was the trauma that I went through and then there was, and reliving that, and then there was the realization of what I didn't receive as a result of the trauma. Mm. And that was, that, was, that was big for me because I'd never processed that. You mean like the opportunity, like the thing that you missed out on because yeah. you chose this way? Because I chose this way or, for instance, something as simple as, as mom and dad are no longer together. And so there was the just the fleeting thoughts of, you know, the, the Christmases where the family was apart and really having to actually process that for the first time in my mm. life at you know, 30, at the time I was 37, 36 years old, and I'm processing now my life, the things that I didn't, you know, I remember one one experience when my dad and I were living on the beach, and I remember we were taking, he would take me to the aquatic center to take a shower, and I remember seeing people, like, they were all on vacation, and just because that's what you do when you go to Hawaii, and you're on vacation, and all their families, and mom and dad, and we're going to the hard rock tonight. I remember just these are things that just stuck with me. And I remember being so, one, just a lot of shame and embarrassment of like where I was and because I didn't really come sure. from that. And having that feeling of like, I don't really know what that looks, what that feels like to have parents around me mm -hmm. that, that are caring for me and and so reliving those things as I wrote was, I, for the first time, in, you know, at that time it was 13, 14 years, I'm now having to actually process this. Really just, just go through this mm -hmm. and, and be at peace with this as well. That this wasn't my truth and this wasn't my story. However, I now get the opportunity to make that truth and that be my own son's story. Yeah. So there was just a lot of that going on, a lot of swirling of emotions. And so when I say this was one, it was by far the most difficult thing that, because it involved all of me. I couldn't just hide something. I think most of the things in our lives that come at us unexpectedly are orchestrated for us to sometimes can be a, a divine orchestra, uh, divinely orchestrated. We just had no idea that something good was coming our way um it could be you know healing or a door that's being opened up in our life that we don't know what's on the other side of that but it comes looking like adversity it comes looking mm. like a problem it comes looking like i mean we've all experienced this it's like a problem comes knocking at your door or you're experiencing something really really difficult but on the other side of this is actually a harvest there's blessing there's there's a whole world that is waiting for you of opportunity as you walk through hard stuff. And I think that's a lot of, sometimes we don't talk about that. I know you love to talk about that because it's what you, you, you see the process of what people, or you see what people go through every day, but then you get to see the fruit of it on the other end as they just, as they just continue pushing forward. And, and that's really what, I mean, I thought the book was just such a great idea, you know, and I was like, yeah, sure, let's do this. Why not? And then I was like, oh, wait a second. But it was an opportunity for me to finally, after so many years, sit and be still. So if somebody's having a hard time, people, uh, some, some people might tune into this just for a pick-me-up and or hey what what worked for her you know what worked for these people that helped them to get to these places so what what would you offer as far as um, what would you like to share to anyone as we're kind of closing out here yeah, yeah. as far as you know the hope in 60 seconds what's what's some hope that you'd like to, to cast yeah, out there for somebody you know, 
the biggest game changer for me was having the advice of this man Hillary when he told me not to give up that if I wouldn't give up that I would I would see fruit and that I would see a harvest in my life and maybe you're listening to this right now and you haven't gone through the things that I've gone through or all of this really seems kind of foreign to you or maybe it's something that's really close to your heart because you've gone through it yourself or your kids are going through it or somebody in your life that you love is going through it as well and and this is what I would say just as Hillroy told me many years ago just keep moving forward because as you keep moving forward there is going to be a moment where everything changes there is going to be a moment where the fruit of your labor is going to you're going to actually see it tangibly. So if you're not, if you're waiting on your healing, you've been waiting for something to change in your body, I want to encourage you that as you continue forward and you don't give up, I believe that there's a moment where everything is going to change for you. For me, it was my faith, Dr. Borbone. I really have you know, my faith in God. Um, and no matter where you are right now at this stage in your life, I believe that there's something in all of us that wants to have hope. We want to have hope for a better day. We want to have hope for our kids. We want to have hope that we're going to feel better in our bodies. So take hold of the hope that things are going to get better. I remember somebody telling me one time, things never look back on your life and just see that things always work itself out. And maybe it didn't work out the way that you wanted it to work out, but there but things somehow, some way, always work themselves out. I think just kind of taking hold of that hope for today that, you know, things are going to work out. And maybe even saying that out loud, there's really, I believe there's a lot of power when we just speak, speak what's true, even though our circumstances are, are, are looking a certain, certain way, that we speak out what we really want to see, even though it may not be the truth of the moment that, I am going to be healed and I'm going to get better. There's something, and I know that neurologically you could say a lot about that, Dr. Barbone, is just really just speak it out and say that things are going to get better. There's going to be, there's the sun is going to come up again in my situation for my kids, for my marriage, or whatever it is that you're facing today, but just not losing that hope. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for sharing all, you know, your, your story is amazing even more amazing is just who you, just who you are every day authentically. It's just, uh, you know, I've gotten to spend some time with you and, and it's, a uh, it's just the, just what you put out there. It's, it's real, it's authentic. The, you know, as I know a lot of times with the influencer world, uh, there's, there could be, Hey, this is me on the film, on the camera. Yeah. This is really, yes. <laughs> this really yes. is you. So, I appreciate you sharing yourself thank with you, us, Dr. and I hope that that we go spread the spread the hope around. So, thanks for joining us on Game Changers. Yes, thank you, Dr. Barbone. All right, that's a wrap. Are you curious about an Austin-based personality, business, or brand you want to know the Game Changer backstory of and learn what led to their success? Send your nominee to info at drpurelife.com. There might just be a little goodie in it for you, too. Thank you for joining us. And if you want more, get more at www.drpurelife.com. <laughs>